You'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians in chapter 3. We'll finish the third chapter of Galatians this morning, and boy, is it a powerful finish, one that will encourage you and bless your heart as we look at the truth of God's Word that has been given to us, a word of encouragement, a word, of course, of instruction, but one where we can identify with the Lord Jesus Christ and to know that we're His and He is ours and that God has a wonderful future for all of His children because of his love for us third chapter beginning with verse 26 you follow on the printed page for you're all christian of god children of god let me put on my glasses here all right for you're all children of god through faith in christ jesus for as many of you as were baptized unto christ have put on christ there is neither jew nor greek there is neither slave nor free There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In this passage that we've just read today, Paul tells us of our relationship to God through Christ Jesus, of our relationship to Christ himself. And then he gives us the results of that relationship in Christ, that relationship that brings with it this package that we've talked a lot about recently, but we're going to look at uh, this morning, that package that he gives to us of the blessings of God, him being in our lives, him directing our lives, the promises that he's given us. First of all, let us consider those five statements that describe our relationship to Christ. First of all, he says, we have faith in Christ. Faith faith is the evidence of things not seen. Though we've never seen the things that God has promised us in the future, we've never seen a life without sin. We've never seen a life without discrepancies in the world where we live. We've never seen heaven. We've never seen the beauty of having put away all of the things of this world and worldliness, but to live in peace and joy and comfort in the presence of a holy God. We've never seen that, but he promises that it is ours in Christ Jesus because God loves us. We have faith in Christ. Now, Faith does not merely mean believing. It just just doesn't mean just to believe that Jesus is a real person. There are a lot of mythological beings. Winnie the Pooh. Casper the ghost. The friendly ghost he is. Mickey Mouse. Some folks like him. And Minnie Mouse. They're all characters that we think sometimes might be real, especially when we were small children. We thought they might be real. And I I could get a testimony from a child right now to raise their hand and say, I've been to Disney World. They're real. I've seen them. But you know what I'm saying, don't you? We know those characters. Sometimes we may think they're real, 
but they're not real at all. Not partially real. They're not real at all. They're cartoon characters. They are storybook characters. And sometimes folks put on a costume that reflects the, what we see in the films, the videos, the movies that we may see of these characters, and they dress up in those costumes. But the characters are not real. They're make-believe. But Jesus Christ, understand this, he is no storybook character. Even though the Bible is filled with stories, even some that Jesus told during his earthly ministry called parables, and though it's full of stories, he's not a storybook character. He's not fictitional. He is real. He was really born of a Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. He was really alive, and really he did miracles while he was on the face of this earth. He really was arrested. He really was crucified by being nailed to the cross of Calvary. He really died. He really ascended into heaven after his resurrection. These others are not real but Jesus, after being raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, he made a promise before he left, if I go away, I will come again. And that day, that promise is just as real as the promise that Kaylee Ray believed in today as she was followed the Lord in baptism, that whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ has everlasting life that promise that he's coming again, that promise of a place that he's prepared for us is just as real as his teachings while he was here on the earth. Jesus is real. And he is a present help to each of us in our lives. I've had to call on him several times this week of you. I know he's a present help. I know how he ministers to our needs, how he blesses us when he moves in our lives, when we least expect him to move in the miraculous way he does and the way he brings comfort and strength and hope and peace to us in everyday life. We know we serve a living, real Savior. He's holy. He's sinless. Never has he committed any sin, not in eternity past, not during his days on this earth, not even as a little baby, not as a little boy, not one time did he ever commit any wrong. He is perfect in every way, and he was nailed to the cross as the innocent, perfect Son of God, the Lamb of God, slain for our sins for, for we could ha so that we could have forgiveness and life. A Christian is someone who has placed his or her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That person has eternal security because of Jesus and his promises. And his promises will never fail. His promises will never disappoint us. His promises will not go without being fulfilled he will meet every promise 
that he's made. And that's who we have faith in. We have faith in Christ for what he said. Look at this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We're children of God and we've all been, all been baptized into Christ. The Bible talks about two kinds of baptism. The Bible talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Bible talks about the baptism of water. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, the scripture says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews, Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Here, the Bible teaches that every born-again Christian, the very moment you became a child of God, the minute that you were saved, the Holy Spirit of God baptized you into the body of Christ. He made you a Christian. He finished that work and moved into your life, and he will never leave you. Jesus said, I'll never forsake you. I'm with you always. And he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Comforter, to come and live in the life of every believer. And when you receive Christ as your Savior, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit living in you, giving you confidence in the promises of Christ, giving you leadership to follow the word and his teaching, giving you conviction when you step out of line with God's will and perfection for your life that he has ordained, always working in your life, always comforting. That's the reason Jesus called him the holy comforter. He brings comfort to our hearts. He brings comfort to us, even to our minds at the most difficult times in our lives at the times of the death of a loved one, at the times of trauma in our lives, at the times of disappointments, in the times of being unemployed, at the times of going through all manner of difficulties. He is Lord, and he works in our lives. The Holy Spirit's baptism is an act of placing us into the body of Christ, placing us in the church, the family of God. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are folks that teach it differently than that. I, I, listen, I'll just say like my pastor just said, they can be wrong if they want to. The scripture is abundantly, abundantly clear that we're all baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He moved in your life. You know that. You've experienced his presence day in and day out. You experience his presence in conviction. And you certainly know what conviction is about because you're a human being. You've experienced his presence in comfort. And you know what comfort is about because you've gone through times of suffering and pain and, and sorrow. You've gone through times of difficulty. And you know what it is to be comforted by God as he works in your life. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's his ministry and his work. And he reminds you of everything that God has promised you in his word that you've read. If you haven't read it, it's hard for him to remind you. So read his word so that you'll know his promises. And at your most difficult times, the work of the Holy Spirit 
reminds you of the promises of God, the blessings of God, the power of God. He reminds you that you are a child of God, and he will bless your heart and lead you through difficult, difficult and hard times. You know what I'm talking about. You know what it is to have a difficult time in your life. You know what it is for the passing of a loved one. You know what it is for heartache to come in your family. You know what it is to be disappointed by someone else's actions, to be disappointed about the outcome of an event or something. You know what that is. And you know that the Holy Spirit of God blesses and strengthens because you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the family it's of God. Now, when you receive the Holy Spirit of God, it doesn't mean you'll swing from the chandeliers. It doesn't mean you're going to roll around on the floor and act crazy and foam at the mouth. It's not about that kind of thing. When he baptizes us, he simply places us in the body of Christ, the church, the family of God. That's the baptism by the Holy Spirit. But then there's a second baptism, such as we've experienced this morning. Kaylee Ray was baptized. I never say her last name. Her last name's Ash, all right. She's sitting right by her dad. But there's the baptism that we witness today as Kaylee Ray Ash was baptized in the baptistry, the baptism of water. There's some that tell us today that water baptism is not important. Well, that's to argue with Jesus. And if you want to argue with Jesus, just go right ahead. You can argue till you're blue in the face, but you're still going to be wrong. It is very important. Matter of fact, he tells the church to go and tell about him wherever we go. And those who believe to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he promises that wherever we go, wherever we tell the gospel, he's always there with us. How is he there with us? He says, I'll send you the comforter and he will indwell you. He goes with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. He's always leading, always blessing, always bringing peace and joy to our lives. But the baptism that we have in the water is not essential to salvation. That water, Kelly Ray, did not wash away your sins. You might have had a little dirt on you. I don't think so. It could have washed that off. But you know, it doesn't wash away our sins. Nothing in the Scripture teaches that water baptism cleanses us. It is a demonstration. It is an act of obedience. It is a demonstration of what has taken place in Christ Jesus, that we are new persons. How did we become new? By the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We became new by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he sends his Holy Spirit to live in our life. He changes us. He changes our heart. He changes our mind. He changes our lifestyle. He does a work. He teaches us. He leads us. He blesses us. He convicts us. He comforts us. He strengthens us. He's always ministering, and the baptism of water has nothing to do with that. 
Instead, it is an act of obedience, and it is one that says, I give testimony that I have received Christ as my Savior. Thereby, I have been baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. I am in Christ Jesus, and he is in me. It is a testimony of one who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a testimony that one says, I trust him. I am buried with him in baptism. I rise to walk in a newness, a new way of life. I want to live for him. I want him to bring glory, to, to, for me to bring glory to him as I live. I want him to have his way in my life. I, I give myself to him. And baptism is a display of a promise, the display of, of a conviction, a display of a decision already having been made, a commitment already having been made that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. And you demonstrate that by following him in obedience. Now, if he's going to be Lord of your life, you've got to obey him. If he's going to be Lord of your life, you have to obey him. And there's where the water baptism comes in. It is obeying Jesus. Jesus himself was baptized by John the baptizer. And John says, oh, no, no, no. I'm not even worthy to lace up your sandals. I, I can't do that. Jesus said, I told you to baptize me. And John said, yes, sir. And he baptized Jesus. And immediately a dove came down from heaven and lit upon his shoulder. And the, there's not but two times in the scriptures where God spoke to an audible voice to a congregation of people. And the first time was this time when Jesus was baptized. It says that God said from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. If the father is satisfied with the son's baptism, why in the world would the father not be satisfied and pleased with the children's baptism that follow Christ in believers' baptism. It is an important act. I don't diminish the important, uh, importance of water baptism whatsoever, but it is not adding anything to salvation. It is a demonstration of what has already happened in the believer's life, and it is an act of obedience of identifying with Christ, identifying with him in death and in life. What does he say? And raised to walk in a new way of life. See, when you came to Jesus, life changes. When you come to Jesus and ask him to be Lord and Savior of your life, life changes. You're not any longer in charge. You're not the one that dictates what you're going to do and where you're going to go. You're not, you're not the one that dictates how you're going to live. He has dictated that through the ones that he chose to pin out the scriptures and that's been recorded for you and for me that we can read it. And you may say, I, I, I don't understand the Bible when I read it. That's why you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus said he'll He'll call to your remembrance. He'll teach you all that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He lives in us. And then because he lives in us, we want to please the Father. We want to please the Son, bring glory to Jesus. And we go through water baptism and rise to walk in the new life that we've committed to him, that he lives through us. Believer's baptism is beautiful. Believer's baptism is important. 
But that's one of the baptisms as Paul talks about in this passage we just read. But third thing, we have put on Christ. And I probably got a little bit ahead of myself in my excitement. We have put on Christ. Now, what does it mean to put on Christ? Well, in the New Testament language, it means to have put on new clothes. If you look over by in the book of Ephesians, you can mark it now if you want to, or just remember it and look there later in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4 and verse 22, these words. The Apostle Paul, talking to the church at Ephesus, emphasizes, emphasizes the importance of putting off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes. That's the picture that he uses in this passage. It is a picture of putting off the old man and putting on a new creature, a new man. The Bible says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new person. If any, any person is in Christ, they're a new person. The Bible says that if any man is in him, he is new in all things. We become new. We're not the same that we used to be. I'm not what I was before I was saved. Nobody in the room that knows Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're not what you were before you were saved. Now, you might not have been some awful person and, 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 and some drunkard or someone raising hell all the time. That not, might not have been your lifestyle. But you know what I mean. You're new. You're different. You have a love for Jesus. You have a love for God. You have a love for the things of God. You have a desire to please God that you did not have before. All things have become new we're not what we used to be we're a new person because of christ in in verse 22 of ephesians 4 it says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt now god doesn't like any of the actions of our flesh the bible says no flesh shall glory in his presence. God has no use for our flesh because it's of the old man, the flesh. It is corrupt. It is ruined. It's like that bag of potatoes you got in the bottom of your pantry in that bag that's been in there six months and you've forgotten about it. It's corrupt. It's rotten. Now, you're laughing because it's happened in your house too, hasn't it? I know, it does. They stink. <laughs> That's what corruption does. It stinks. That's what our corruption does in the nostrils of a holy God. It stinks. And God detests sin. He detests Satan and all of the works of Satan and the things of this world. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man. I'm, I'm in Ephesians 4, you know that, right? Put on the new man, the new clothing, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, wherefore putting away lying. He says, every man ought to speak the truth. 
Verse 26, be angry and sin not. That lets me know there are two kinds of anger. There's the kind of anger that disappoints God, displeases God, as the kind of anger that God is pleased with. He says, be angry, but don't sin with it. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Before you became a Christian, you could get mad at folks and stay mad at them for a long time. That kind of wrath, that kind of anger should not be a part of our life. Now, I, 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 I had a preacher friend tell me one time, says, uh, my wife and I have decided that we will not go to bed angry. He said, we've spent a lot of nights sitting in the living room. <laughs> God says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Put away lying. Be angry and sin not. We used to have long periods of rage, perhaps, in your life. We've learned how to give glory and honor to Christ. We used to get mad and when things came in our life that were disappointments, when folks hurt us. When folks said bad things about us. But now we've learned that we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. And though it may offend, though it may make us angry for a second, we don't tote it. You can't tote anger because it'll cause you to tote unforgiveness along with it. And if you tote unforgiveness in your life along with the anger, it'll make you somebody you never intended to be. You'll be somebody nobody likes. Matter of fact, you'll be somebody, when you look in the mirror, you won't even like the person you're looking at because of anger, because of wrath, because of disappointments. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. He said, upon your wrath. He says, be angry and sin not. Our problem is we get angry at the wrong things. We get angry at what we want to do and somebody won't let us do it. We get angry at what we want to be and we just can't afford to be what we want to be. And we get angry about those kind of things, what the flesh wants. That's our whole problem. We are led, we have our actions, we have our thoughts, we have our attitudes dictated to us by our flesh rather than by the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us. And when we do that, we quench the Holy Spirit. We starve him out of our lives. We, he never leaves us. He'll never forsake us. But he loses his power of influence when we ignore him and do not follow what he's leading us teaching us to do when we know in our heart of hearts because he is in us what we ought to do and we'll ignore the wooing and the drawing and the instructions of the Holy Spirit and we find ourselves in a mess but when you put on Christ According to the Apostle Paul, when you put on Christ, those things are to cease. Those things are to be a part of the past. 
we are one in Christ. Going back to Galatians. We are one in Christ. Back in the Bible days, a pious Jew would pray in something like this. Father, I thank thee that I am not like other people. I thank you that I'm a Jew and not a Gentile. I thank you that I'm a free man and not a slave. And most especially, I thank you that I'm a man and not a woman. That was the typical prayer of a Jewish male back in biblical days. Look at what we learn through God's Holy Spirit teaching us and what he gave to Paul to write. Verse 28, the third chapter. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one in Christ Jesus. You mean all of our differences have gone away? No. We're still different. We're, we're, there are differences between men and women. I hope you've noticed that. There are differences in different classes of people. The upper crust live in the fine places that you and I can't even afford to drive up their driveway. All the way down to the very poorest of people who are living on the streets looking for someone to help them to be a blessing. But what Paul is saying here, all of these things, these differences, don't make any spiritual advantage for anyone. No one can say, I have more of the blessings of God than anyone else. He can't say that because of his gender. He can't say that because of his social standing or the color of his skin. Because God does not measure out advantage and blessing upon a man or a woman or anyone because of any of those things you have. There are no racial barriers in the kingdom of God. There are no social barriers in the kingdom of God. There are no gender barriers in the kingdom of God. All that are in Christ Jesus are the heirs of the blessings of God. We are one in Christ. We know that. We've sung that old chorus. We are one in the bond of love. We're one in the bond of love. We have joined our spirits with the Spirit of God. We are one in the bond of love. That's what Paul's teaching us here. Fifthly, he says, we belong to Christ. For ye are all 
children of God, verse 26. Now, there's not anything wrong with the word children. The word that is used in the New Testament is the word sons. The idea is that we're no longer infants. What has he just been saying in the verses before? He said that the law is our schoolmaster. It is our teacher, our tutor, a school teacher, because those that were under the law were little bitty children and had to be taught every day, had to be taught. This is what you got to do today. This is what the law asks for. These are the sacrifices for this week. This is the meal for this week. You had to be under those teachings. But those things are no longer true for a Christian. We're the children of God. Not the little boys and little girls of God. We're the children of God. Now, two times before, he's used the expression, son of God. He used it in chapter 1, and he used it again in chapter 2, if you'll remember. But both times, that expression, son of God, is capitalized for he's talking about Jesus. But now he takes the title and the term, and he uses it to identify Jesus Christ and says... And you, and you, and you are Christ Jesus. Wow. You, and you, and you are in Christ Jesus. We stand on the ground before a holy God, not as hired hands, not as slaves. Well, we stand before him as his children the ones who have been born into the family of God, children of God, that ought to bring on a hallelujah from every one of us. I'm a child of God. God the Father sees me the same way according to what Paul wrote. He sees me in the same light that he sees his perfect only son, Jesus Christ, for he sees me in the Son, in Christ Jesus. He sees me forgiven. He sees me cleansed by the blood of Christ. Therefore, because I'm a child of God, I am the heir of God. And I finish. Verse 28 says, I'm an heir of of God. What does it mean to be an heir? Let me try to put it to you carnally in the vernacular. We're going to get something. After especially someone who has a lot, someone who has acquired a lot of wealth, after their death, there comes a day when there's going to be the reading of the will. And Ken, folks, that man never knew he had show up for the reading of the will just to see if their name is mentioned in it because they want to see what they got. Oh, I've seen that so many times through my years. When someone who has done well in life, 
who has saved well, who has invested well, passes away, they want to look at that will and see, what daddy leave me? What did Uncle George leave me? He didn't have any children. What did he leave me? Well, God's will says he left it all to all of us. He's given it all to us. But he doesn't die to do that. He lives forever. He, we just inherit it when he takes us home to be with him. We gain the inheritance of our God, our Father. And he says we are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. That means everything that Jesus has, we have. Every way that the Father blesses the Son, he blesses all the children because we are joint heirs. Why? We are now the children of God. We belong to him, and he belongs to us. And oh, as you read in the Revelation, you see he has prepared a place. He's, he's prepared a place for us, a beautiful place where the streets are, are paved with gold, where the walls are of jasper, the gates are of pearl. We have a place that is prepared for us, and guess who it belongs to? It belongs to us for eternity. We are heirs of God in Christ Jesus, and we will be there with him for all eternity enjoying those things. Paul says, if in this life we only have hope in Christ, we're all men most miserable. The devil hates us. He wants us to see how poor we are and how much we're lacking and how much we wish we had and will remind us of all these things. And, you know, I, I, I've thought about how much I've seen a lot of folks acquire in life and, and all the blessings they have. And, and that is wonderful. I'm telling you, if someone, God blesses them and they invest wisely and God gives them a lot and, and he entrusted them with that, that is, abs I tell you what, I would never, ever, ever, ever be jealous. I would never wish I had what somebody else has. I really, I never would. Why? Because I am comfortable in Christ Jesus. And whatever he chooses to give to me, he's chosen to give to me. Whatever he wants to do in my life, he's chosen to do in my life. Wherever he leads me, that's where he wants me to go. And wherever he leads you, that's where he wants you to go. And whatever he gives you in your life, that's what he wants to bless you with. He has a purpose. He has a will for all of those things. And everything we acquire, whether it's good health or it is a wonderful investment in things or a lot of money built up, regardless of what we have that he's blessed us with, it is all to be to his glory. And it's his way of saying, you're mine, I'm yours, I'm your God. I have blessed you. Bless me. Bring glory to my name and know that you are a part of the family of God. Let me finish with this. I've alluded to it already. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Now, I want you to know I do enjoy our retirement home out in the country. We're so far out in the country, they had to pipe in sunshine. 
It is so wonderful to be out there where all I hear is the wind blowing, the birds chirping, and the neighbor across the branch, his dog's barking. Can't even hear them in the house. I'm thankful for what God's given me. But I want you to know, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. The songwriter says, my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon to me, the heavens open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Can I tell you, I'm tired of funerals. Are you? Is it preaching? You mean you don't want to do any more funerals? No. Well, I, no, I really don't want to ever do another funeral. I don't want anybody to die. That's not my point. I'm tired of seeing people die. I'm, I'm tired of walking through the weariness that follows in that widow lady's life, in those children and grandchildren, and the departure hurting so deeply. I'm tired of funerals. I'm sick of the sorrow. I'm sick of sickness. But thank God, there'll be no pain. There'll be no death. Funeral homes will never be built in heaven. No funeral directors. I'm not saying no funeral directors are going to heaven. They just won't have that occupation over there. Hallelujah. God has promised us that place for eternity. Can I get a little old-fashioned with you? How many of you know who Vestal Goodman was? Raise your hand. You know Vestal. You remember what she used to sing all the time? Looking for a city where we'll never die. There the sainted millions never say goodbye. Isn't that right? There we'll see our Savior and our loved ones too. All, oh, come, Holy Spirit, all our hopes renew. Then she'd go up a half step looking for a city. And she'd go on, and she and Johnny, whatever his name is, they'd switch back and forth and climb one half step at a time until they were both screaming. But I thought of that song when I was preparing this message. Looking for, and I wasn't planning on singing those, <laughs> that chorus at all. I can't sing anyway. Looking for a city where we'll never die. Are you looking for it? The hope of all we're studying is the blessing of heaven that God has prepared for us. And we get it all. Isn't that good? Let's stand together. I'm way, way over time, and I'm glad you've listened good today. I'm, I'm so thankful. I, I couldn't wait to preach this message. So, And you're sitting, yeah, we couldn't wait for you to get it preached and out of here either. But I, <laughs> I couldn't wait. I've been excited about it all week long as we get into the good stuff.